This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. From MPB Think Radio, you're listening to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Investing in the stock market can be a smart way to help you reach short- or long-term financial goals. But if you're just starting out, how do you know how much to invest and what to invest in? On our show today, we're going to talk about some investing basics uh, to help you get started in the right direction. And Nancy and Ryder are always ready to help with any kind of personal finance question that you might have. So good morning. We always uh, start the show by talking about financial news in the news. And Ryder, we will let you go first this week. Wow. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, So uh, tax season is upon us. So uh, you've probably started receiving tax forms if you have, if you worked last year, probably got a W-2 or maybe a 1099 from your employer. If you had retirement accounts that had a distribution, you've probably received a 1099 already for those. If you've got brokerage accounts, uh, bank accounts, may not have gotten a 1099 from those yet. They're a little more complicated or they can be, and you'll likely be receiving those soon. So and that's a big deal for us in our office because we also collate all that information for folks. We also send them supplemental reports because sometimes that 1099 is real, um, both dry and ambiguous. So it can just say, oh, $1,000 left this IRA, but it doesn't tell you where or why or who it got it. So particularly for folks doing charitable distributions, we do supplemental reports for that with the details there, which their CPA is going to need, of course. Uh, and then particularly with people who have old stocks they've had for a long time. Some of the reporting on the 1099 for a brokerage account might not be accurate, so we help a lot with that. So uh, tax season is upon us. If you had any big changes last year in employment, uh, dependents, or marital status, uh, if you bought or sold a house or any other property, any new businesses, things like that, uh, those are going to be real important to kind of make sure you're getting all the forms for your current accounts, but also any that may have closed or changed last year. Lots of exciting stuff with tax season. So I I e-filed my taxes already, and I got a note that the what? Uh, IRS, <laughs> when you get money back, you do not dilly-dally. <laughs> But the interesting thing was, and I know there was one software, um, tax software company that came under a little bit of heat for the, using oh, yeah. the word free. Oh, yeah. And now they can't use it anymore. Well, now the ads have it. But anyway, so I went to the free version, and at the very beginning, it's, it says, check the, you know what things apply so we can tell you how much we're going to charge you. And so I said W-2 form. I clicked on that. It was still free. But then when I clicked own a house – suddenly there was a cost. And so I'm guessing that they, I don't know. I just thought that was odd. I I did find another company that is totally free, free both state and uh, federal, uh, free e-file. So, I mean, it cost me exactly zero. So that's the one I went with. But I was trying to figure out what was it that triggered the fee just for saying that I was a homeowner. Um, It was probably (laughs) that they felt that they could take a fee from you. Um, So the IRS does have – they – 
they actually this year are trialing, or I'm not sure if this got canceled or not, in, in several states, a, essentially you can file your taxes with the IRS. I don't, I don't know what they're calling that program. It is not here in Mississippi, so don't get too excited. Uh, but there are a few states where they said they were going to trial this new program, which everyone's always said, hey, the IRS already has my information. Why can't I just call them up and let them, you know, they can tell me how much. Essentially, this was that program. Um, but what they had done previously, and we talked a lot about this, is they essentially outsourced it to all these tax preparation companies. They said to the tax preparation companies, you know, we have some standards, and it's essentially if someone is making less than, last year I think it was $70,000 household income, then you have to offer a basic service where they do not have to chart, they do not have to pay you. Uh, and it was called IRS free file. And if you want to do that, I strongly recommend you start at the irs.gov website to track these down. Because the problem was what they started doing was started upselling. They started making people think, oh, I'm too complicated to qualify for this IRS free file. Oh, I have a house, therefore I have to pay. So my guess is maybe they don't participate anymore and have developed their own standards, or maybe they were, again, the problem was they were upselling people in a really aggressive way, and that kind of just sounds like they're up to their old tricks again. But Finding someone who is actually doing it free and actually doing the state for free because that's yeah, that's, that's obviously each state has their own systems. That's 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 pretty good. That's pretty good that they would do that. And um, th- there was even the one that was ended up being free along the way. They kept saying, "Hey, do you want access to a you know a, a, one of our tax advisors or whatever?" And there was a charge involved there. But you could you could easily just say no, no and that's what yeah. I did. And again, it's one of those where they even had. Uh, the, you know the the cart and my cost was zero, so I'm I'm set. So uh, hopefully I will get my refund uh, back soon because that uh, that uh, finances the trip that I take out to visit my friends in there California. You go. A, a profitable tax filing season for Kevin, <laughs> folks. I even got money back on the state, which is very unusual for me. So it was only three dollars, but hey, who's who's complaining? <laughs> so good morning, Nancy. What's uh, what's on your mind financially speaking this morning? Well, good morning. My eyes are glazing over with all this talk of taxes, and you always love to gloat, Kevin, that you're getting money back. Um, But today we're talking about investing and uh, investing in the stock market in particular, and um, this is probably a good time because we are off to a roaring start. So last year was a good year in the markets. The S&P gained 24%. NASDAQ, which is the tech-heavy index, gained 45% last year. And guess what? You know, we normally think, oh, we're going to start to step back, but it's taken off again. So the S&P is up 3.4% so far, and that's less than a month. You know, if it kept going at that rate, which it won't, it would be over 36%. And um, there is a quote, I don't remember who said it, but it's, it's time in the market, not market timing. And I think back to 1999 at the dot-com bubble height, the NASDAQ was at 69.14. And in just a matter of uh, a couple of years, it was down to 22.32. Amazing. Um, February of 2009, if you remember, that was after the Great Recession and all of the declines in the market. Um, The NASDAQ was at 19.92. And what is it now, Ryder? 
How not looking at that right now? Over 17,000, and that's in 15 years. Mm. So um, that tells us that investing in stocks, again, is not a straight line. Um, the stock market giveth and it taketh away, but it's all about time in the market, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before our first break, let's spend just a couple of minutes. You know, we're uh, hoping that uh, the next generation of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of Americans will be a little more knowledgeable about the stock market than maybe some of us are. So, Ryder, you have two children, a little young, but when they start getting older, what are some ways that you might start to teach? Oh, Kevin, your- we talk about stocks every, <laughs> every day, every day. Right there with the formula. They say, they say, data, and I say, okay, let's look at that stock symbol. Let's, let's see where it's trading today. That's, that's uh, great. I like that. <laughs> see if the child's just, gibberish turns out to be a stock. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just buy anything, whatever they're, whatever they're talking about today. Um, yeah, so obviously, right, uh, a one-and-a-half-year-old uh, is, is not really not, – not quite the time. But I, I, it's all part of learning about money, right? It's all part of learning about how the world around them works. Um, y- you know, of course, you want to start with your much more basic money lessons, like what is a coin, what is a dollar, how do we spend this, what do we get for it? But – there comes a point when you say, okay, I have more money than I need today. Well, what can I do with that? Well, I can save it for tomorrow. Well, I don't need this money tomorrow. What can I do with it? I have some bigger goal, some long, more long-term goal. I want to save up for a toy. I want to save up for a, I don't know, what are kids saving up for these days? Call us, call, call us if you have a great idea of what your child is saving a up new for. Pair, a new pair of shoes. A new pair of shoes. They want to save up for a new pair of shoes. Um, so that starts the conversation. Of what what can you do with money over a longer period of time? And also just kind of interacting with the economy. Well, why do these businesses ex- businesses exist? You know, they don't exist as you know charitable endeavors for you. Uh, the grocery store, yes, it supplies groceries, what you eat and you need, but it also it also takes your money and also tries to make a profit off of that and it also tries to grow. So, what does that look like? So, it's learning the underlying in a way that is immediately relatable is, I think, important. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. You can find previous episodes by going to moneytalks.mpbonline.org, or if you download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, you can listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're going to be talking about investment basics, but also looking for any kind of personal finance question that you have. So, Nancy, uh, we began our discussion before the break about, uh, you know, trying to have uh, our children or the next generation of folks be more aware and knowledgeable about the stock market. So what um, what age do you think it's appropriate to start uh, talking about to our kids about that? And what are some of the things uh, the concepts or stuff that we can help them understand? Well, I think probably grade school uh, is where you can really start to talk to them about what a company is, what a business is, how they make money, how you can be a shareholder in that business. Ryder has a great story. I wish he would tell it of uh, Coca-Cola. Ryder, jump in. Yeah, so I uh, I always kind of uh, pin pin this uh, story to when I was around eight years old. Um, And it was not a, oh, I learned a lesson immediately at eight years old. But uh, growing up, we would always drive uh, 
about mm, two hours from here to my grandmother's house in the summer. We'd stay there for a, a week to a month uh, every summer. And, and it was a real treat because when we got there, she would pour in these tiny little juice glasses. I don't know. I've never seen since. I've never since seen a, an, an actual drinking glass so small. But she would take a, uh, a glass bottle of Coke and split it up amongst me and my uh, three siblings. So, uh, of course, that was more uh, Coca-Cola than I was allowed in, generally speaking, a year. So that was pretty. That was a pretty good treat for us. And then, and then one day, my dad told me, he said, "You know, your oldest sister Emily, she owns shares of Coca-Cola." And I was. I, like I said, I was eight. I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, I'm going outside to play. And just kind of one day it hit me that she owned the company. She didn't own you know, part of a glass bottle. She didn't own a six pack of Coke. She owned part of the company. And, you know, so I could imagine her participating in all of the, all of the things the Coca-Cola company does. Now, of course, at the time I didn't quite realize what the Coca-Cola company does. They just sell this syrup guys. They just, that's all they do. Um, so, so that was the epiphany for me at some point. But, uh, yes, that's, that's how it got started, is learning about a product and how you can own part of the production of it. And usually when you start with children around that age, you want to choose a company for them to invest in. Sometimes grandparents like to give some money to uh, those grandchildren and to get them to invest in a company that they know, like Coca-Cola. Um, a lot of people we work with, uh, they will invest in shares of Disney because their children and grandchildren understand about Disney. And they can start to grab on to that idea about what a company is, what a business is. I will also say, you know, one thing I see as uh, kind of a, I don't want to say a mistake, but uh, some people want to kind of force that a little too soon. Some people are like, oh, I should buy my kids shares of Disney because they, and maybe your kids do understand the entire universe of Disney and their products and how that works. But some people might just really like a single Disney movie and are not going to relate that uh, stock to that. So maybe it's just making sure that they understand how it relates, but also waiting until they show some more interest. And and part of that is is not just saying, "Hey, I bought you a share of Disney. Now go get interested in 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 investing." Um, but starting from the bottom of what what products are you interested in? Do you realize these products cost money? Do where do you think that money goes now? Where did this, how did this all come together? You know, starting from the bottom instead of just saying, I'm going to open up an account and my grandchild is going to fall in love with investing immediately because we, I've seen a lot of custodial accounts for children and I've seen a lot more custodial accounts for children that get ignored than ones that turn into, uh, that the child turns 18 or 21, what have you, and starts gunk-ho throwing money in and investing in their own things. So... Well, and let's jump forward to college age because I used to always tell my college students um, they're, they're paying attention to what's trendy. And uh, when they're using those products and chasing those trends to stop and ask themselves, who are the companies selling me this stuff? And how can I make money off of it where I see everybody else just spending money? 
This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be talking throughout the hour about investment basics, but also looking for your personal finance questions. And in fact, we have two callers on the line. So let's start in Jackson. Megan has called in today. Good morning, Megan. You're on the air with us. So go ahead. Good good morning. Another great program. So thank you very much. Uh, So the other night I was watching uh, major uh, network news and they had a story about how some there's a trend to get back to using cash because there is no um, transaction fee for the business, which is, I guess, about 2 or 3% of every transaction, and it's really uh, choking small business. And they were saying that, you know, it's a, there's a trend of uh, some people going back to using cash, which seems like a no-brainer. And, you know, although I know our society as a whole is not going to do that, do, do you think that maybe that would be a healthy thing for us to uh, at least – I mean, Visa and MasterCard are making trillions of dollars, you know, uh, on these transactions, and it's choking little businesses. I, I actually do business with a couple that give a discount, mm-hmm. and that's what the story was about. They give like mm-hmm. a 10% discount for people that use cash. So is that is there some something, substance to that? That's uh, that's a, an interesting, and the first thing I thought of was that it is, it, you probably know, it's just hard, getting harder to get cash these days. You know, uh, of course there's ATMs everywhere, but they it costs $5 to get out a $20 bill. <laughs> of course it also costs $5 if you get 100 But that's a huge cost to the consumer for getting the cash. I um, also do think credit cards are very convenient. You've heard us talk about credit cards. We think they're a great tool. You're right. There, there are a few credit card companies, and they can extract a fairly good amount of profit out of each transaction. One thing to consider, though, is there are many banks that charge small businesses for processing cash deposits. They take longer to do a cash deposit than a, an electronic payment from your credit card company might be. Uh, oftentimes, for small businesses, a check is one of the best ways, although there can be a lot of risk in checks. There can be settlement issues with checks. Um, Cash also carries with it risks to businesses. Uh, So you could get a fraudulent bill. You could uh, get robbed. And uh, that just doesn't happen as much or as easily with credit cards. And that's part of the when a credit card company comes to you and says, hey, like you will have less risk for this, this and this. Therefore, we're going to charge you three percent. Now, that being said. That certainly squeezes a lot of businesses and especially smaller businesses that try to work with a credit card processor may be charged a lot more. And, uh, you know, it's it can be kind of atrocious in, in some in some senses, but it's it's a balance. But it seems to me that it's just getting harder to transact with cash. There are fewer places. Everyone pretty much most people pretty much take cash. But I mean, there's more and more places where it's just that's not the convenient way to do it and and and, you know whether or not that's a that's a real big problem or a real big cost to businesses uh, it's not as clear to me and megan a lot of businesses are tacking on a charge if you use the card and a lot of places i go to actually have signs at the register that say you know if you use that credit card and they ask you on the uh, front end cash or credit 
Um, if you use a debit card, that's going to be a lower charge, about half of what the charge would be if you used a credit card. So sometimes I will lean on my debit card a little bit more, even though there is some risk there, if I'm dealing with a small business. And as Ryder indicated, the smaller the business, the the higher percentage they're going to be charged for that processing. You know, these bigger companies, they have very little uh, skin in the game in all of this because those MasterCards and Visas want that business. And you are right. uh, Those processing companies are making a lot of money, but I don't know how we're going to go back. It's really difficult to manage with cash. Um, I think we've passed that point, and I don't see us going back to it. All right, Megan, thanks for your call. Good question to start us off. And I would say that uh, just in terms of accessing cash, you know, as Ryder mentioned, the ATM machine is available. But to me, the inconvenient thing about that is it's $20 increments. And so if you want $35 or $30 or whatever, I found that if it's during the day, I would really now prefer to go inside the bank and make a, a withdrawal from a checking account or whatever and just get the amount of money that you need as opposed to having to round it up to the nearest $20 I- increment. So, And Kevin, also, um, you know, I, this could be just my personality, but if you give me $100 in cash, um, I'm going to go back and say, gosh, where did I spend that? Um, it's harder for me to account for it. Uh, it seems to get frittered away. If I use my card, I've got a clear record of where that's going. I'm getting alerts every time I use that card. For me, it's a better way of tracking my spending. I have this crazy thing of when I get a, a $20 bill or whatever, I, I'm always I hesitant to break it up because I figure that if it's as long as it's a, it's a 20 in my wallet, it's there. But as soon as I buy something, it's going to be $3 and a $5, and then it'll be easier to fritter away. So we all, I think, have our own kind of little incrosync. Idiosyncratic. Uh, thank you. Behaviors when it comes to money. Or, or, or we call them quirks in my okay. house, but I don't have <laughs> that is a That is a much better word. Thank you for helping yeah. us on our grammar, Nancy. All right. Uh, before our next call, uh, break, that is, let's get another caller on the line. So we are off to Horn Lake, and David has called in this morning. Go ahead, David. You're on the air. Uh, I'd like to ask a question. Um, I believe my kids are addicted to um, the casinos, the lotteries, and the sports betting and whatnot. And my question to you is, how, how come they don't, when you buy a lottery ticket or do the scratch-off or whatnot or the sports betting deal, they got advertised we're being bombarded uh, during, the, the, during the play games or whatnot, how, how fun it is, and if you bet 100 or 1,000, we'll guarantee the first $1,000 of your bet. Or the, in a way, they guarantee to get you hooked or whatnot, and the odds are stacked so much against you, you end up with nothing. And uh, they're not interested in investing. They're not interested in the stock market. All they care about is instant gratification. My question to you is, how come we can't get the legislator, when you buy a lottery ticket, to put the daggum odds right there in the ticket? Because your odds are so uh, astronomical stacked against you. And on the scratch-off games, if you've got a million-dollar prize, a five-million-dollar prize is now five-million-dollar tickets have already been sold. You're just wasting your time and energy. Uh, Amen. Uh, Amen. Anyway, uh, uh, how can we educate our younger people about the fallacies of gambling and how addictive it is? And uh, they've made it so easy now that you can do it over your apps, over your smartphone. And, I mean, we're ended up, my, my kids are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars a, a month, ended up with nothing. 
instead of buying stocks and wanting to prosper the company and maybe maybe get you a dividend paying stock or uh, uh, anyway, that's my question. So I'll just hush up and let you make a comment. And David, what we're hearing is that there's this huge spread uh, across the states of online gambling and now our super bowl is going to be in las vegas people are going to games and while they're in the middle of the games they are placing bets on other games or the game they're watching um it's getting crazy and guess what um the gaming companies are making a ton of money in all of this you could put those odds on that lottery ticket. I don't think it's going to make any difference. Um, I think the only thing that makes difference a difference in that situation is when you suffer the pain of all of those losses. Uh, I have to say, you know, gambling is a real addiction. People go to rehab for that. People get treatment for being addicted to gambling. And one of the things why we may have noticed more of it recently is that, well, one, lotteries, in, at least in the state of Mississippi, we didn't have a lottery until a few years ago. We didn't have uh, sports betting was illegal throughout most of the country until a few years ago. So there are more legal ways to gamble than there were before, and those are more accessible to more people. And so we are seeing more ads for it. And yes, advertisement are designed to draw you into the product. I mean, even a even a soap advertisement wants you to get addicted to soap. Now, there's not... Okay, someone's going to call and correct me, but there's not really... A, you, you don't get addicted to soap, but all advertising is trying to draw you into the product. The problem is, just like with... I, think, I kind of think of a... Um, an analogy with uh, tobacco advertisements. It's in a very addictive product. It's a dangerous product. It can ruin people's lives. And so, you know, uh, in 90s and early uh, 2000s, lots of lawsuits and regulations on how they advertise, how they reach people. They have those do have big warning labels on them. You know, it's not like you have to take a test, but you do have to show an ID. You do have to see this big old warning label on a pack of tobacco. Um, but once someone's addicted, they're not going to look at that pack one day and be like, oh, this is bad for me. You know, they're not going to look at that next lottery ticket and be like, oh, this costs me money and I'm not likely to win. No, it's it, it's it's an addiction. And that's that's a real well, problem. And that's um, all of what grew out of these meme stock investing, because it was this idea of I'm going to get rich quick and forget my parents. Uh, attitude on investing, which is buy blue chip, hang on to it forever. No, we're going to play this game. And it's all about the gaming. And part of that gaming really causes people just to fire on all cylinders. And it's fun and you think it's great, but you can lose a lot of money. And I don't know how you get people to stop again as Ryder said, it's, it is an addiction, um, but it's set up to work against our um, better instincts. And again, I think you have to hit the wall and hit some pain and some losses um, in order to decide that's not the way to go. 
Good question, David. Thanks for prompting that bit of discussion. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both charter financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So today on Money Talks, we've been talking a little bit about uh, investing basics, but also been taking your personal finance questions. Got some open phone lines if you have one. But as promised, we'll go to Clinton next, and Ferdinand is on the line. Good morning. Morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, guys. I uh, love your shows. Uh, uh, as uh, I've stated before, I, I love to, to hear y'all while I'm commuting to work. Uh, my question, uh, and most likely it's for Ryder, but uh, I have uh, I've had a lot of credit cards, and um, last time I counted, they had it was like 26 of them. Uh, but, you know, a long time ago, like five or six years ago, I learned that, you know, you obviously have to pay them back. Uh, but I, it, my question is, it's better to have two with high, um, I would say, high, high credit credit cards or have many with uh, average credit on them? Oh, it's. I would say it's better to have two with high credit limits. So if we're thinking, you know, my overall credit limit is the same, but it's concentrated on two cards, that is better. One of the, and let's think about what do we mean by what is better. One thing is your credit score. Having so many credit lines open is not great for your credit score. Also, just from a personal level, managing 26 credit cards is not great. Um, I actually just the other day got a notice on a card which uh, you know hadn't used in a long time. They're saying they're, oh, they're going to close it, even just keeping track of those. Um, and, and one thing you can do, so you have 26 credit cards. My guess is a couple of them are with uh, the same credit card provider. One thing you may be able to do with them is say you have two cards with a $1,000 credit limit apiece. You may be able to say, hey, I would like to close one of these. Close the one that either has a more expensive fee, that has less attractive features. Close the one that hasn't been open as long, maybe, especially if you have one that's been open a long time. We like to keep those open. Um, It's not critical, but we like to. Uh, And then say, hey, I'd like to close one of these. Can I transfer my credit limit to my other card before I close it? Um, So that way you kind of preserve that credit limit. And maybe even increase it, especially if your credit profile is gone. You've, you've, you've been, it sounds like for five or six years, been on a path of kind of trying to better yourself and increase your knowledge about credit and hopefully improving that credit score. You may be able to increase that limit and close that card and kind of get that one off of your mind, two, eventually off of your credit report, and three, kind of you, you remove the risk of having that card, uh, which, which could possibly get you in trouble in some way in the future. And, and Nancy, I know you're a big proponent of limiting the number of total credit cards that you have. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I would prefer you have just one personal card that you put everything on. And that means that total amount that's due um, slaps you in the face every month. And it's not like little bits and pieces that you can fool yourself into thinking, well, I don't really owe that much until you sit down and add it all up. Um, You really just need one. I keep two, one for business and one for personal. All right, Fernand, appreciate your call this morning. And uh, I would also say, too, that if you have a pretty good credit record, credit score, 
that if you called your credit card company and asked for an, um, a larger um, credit limit, yes, that I I would think that the most of them would be willing to do that. I, because if mm. if you're in good standing and they're going to give you, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, they all have different rules on it and things they look at. Often, <laughs> I was talking about ton with this recently. When you're asking for a higher credit limit, you have to kind of be really coy about it. You have to act like you don't need it, but that you kind of want it, but that you'd be good with it. You don't you don't want to ask for a higher credit limit and be like, oh, I'm about to get reckless with my spending, like give me some more money. But you you want to see, you know things like oh I've you know I've increased my salary you know cost of living's increased so I'm I just I'm just anticipate putting more expenses on this card or I'm consolidating other cards so I just want to make sure that this card is going to be my primary card you want to be clear that you're still a very good credit you want to be clear that there's nothing risky about your financial situation you want to be clear you're going to be a good customer and keep swiping that card for them but you also want to be clear that you're going to pay that off and you're going to be clear want to be clear that you 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 would like it but you know it's it's not the end of the world if you don't have it you might just take your business elsewhere because you got 26 other cards to call on <laughs> well i mean i think i think that that is something because the credit card market is so competitive i do think that you can play that card of well if you don't you know if you can't give me what i want i'll go elsewhere because you know because there are a lot of similar types of cards that different you know financial institutions issue or whatever. So that's one one. Uh, anytime the consumer can kind of get the upper hand, I would say mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah. We're going off to Gulfport for our next call. John is on the line. Good morning, John. Go ahead. Oh yes, good morning. I have a question about the insurance uh, on automobiles. Why don't they give you a discount if you have no uh, demands? You know, uh, if you have no problems with it, I've contacted five companies. And every one of them said, no, we don't do that. Is there any way around this? Thank you. All right, uh, John, thanks for the call. I would say um, I know that several insurance companies have started the thing where if you're willing to put, like, the little tracking device in your car that you can get a safe driver discount. Um, and I think in bundling, I believe that's one of the popular um, insurance companies. Their ads campaign is all about, you know, bundling home and auto. So, Nancy, are you aware of, of – Things to get well, cheaper I, auto insurance? I understand that insurance is regulated by the state, and it varies from state to state. So your location has a lot to do with the pricing of those premiums and whether you can get any kind of discounts. So um, an insurance company is looking at not just you in particular, but their whole pool of people that they are covering and trying to figure out what is their cost, what is the probability of um, of accidents or damage or some kind of payoffs that they're going to have to uh, deal with and pricing it based on that. So it could be that in your particular area, there's just not a lot of competition. Um, I would say still keep calling. Kevin, you mentioned some of those companies that we have seen ads for about this possibility of having your driving monitored and that they would lower that cost. But there is a limit to how much they're going to lower it because, again, they, you're part of an entire pool in that area, and that company has to make sure that they're going to be able to make the payoffs and still make money. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what do you mean by if you have no problems or demands on your 
policy. Um, many companies do offer a kind of a no claims discount. So if you haven't made a claim for a certain number of years, it may be that as a new applicant, then they, they're not offering that because you haven't been a customer of theirs for several years yet. So that could be one, the safe driver thing. That's interesting. I've even uh, had, I did that once um, as they, they had an, as an app on the phone as long as, um, and it, it, I, just, I eventually got rid of it because I was just uncomfortable with having it having the sort of access to information on my phone that that it had. Um, but ultimately, it was Ryder, just, where were you going? I was going to work, but it's just it's just it just made me a little I don't know I, I, I was just it. not super comfortable it. with it because I, you know I'd get a notification when I get got home it's like oh you braked too hard at such and such an intersection I was like um buddy let's 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 slow down here. Um, but it it isn't it isn't like tracking tracking but it, it it's got a lot of information um and then yeah bundling with other insurances that's that's common what I'll do as well if you are in the market and you've already called five different insurance companies maybe see if you can find an independent uh, insurance broker someone who is not just you know they're all state. Uh, they are the nationwide person. They are the you know X Y Z office. But someone who has an independent uh, brokerage, they can usually one they'll have a good idea of what sort of things different places are offering, and two they can put in an application for you at multiple places at once. So they can kind of help you with that process, especially again if you're looking for something different. I mean, you look if you're looking for home insurance, you have a good idea what the price is going to be, and you're kind of happy with it. You can get that from a lot of places. But if you're looking for something a little different, you know, you're not satisfied with 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 the market as it is. Uh, an independent insurance broker might be able to help you. And that also brings us this whole topic of insurance, which is protection against some sort of catastrophic event. And um, here in Mississippi, uh, we have limits on the health insurance, health insurers that are in the state because of the payoffs that they have faced. We have problems with property insurance because we have hurricanes and tornadoes. So all of that is specific to our area and our population. And again, those companies are going to price those premiums to make sure that they're going to make money after they pay everything out. And I would say that, uh, Ryder, I went so far, my insurance company actually sent me some little gig ad for my car, and I went so far as to where I got it. But then I, I kind of agree with you. When I started reading what it was they were able to monitor, I felt a little bit uncomfortable and maybe that they were overstepping their bounds a bit. My other worry was I, I think I'm a fairly safe driver who usually drives the speed limit. But to And say surely that, you could just tell, call them up and say, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm actually a good driver. You need to give me a discount. And they should be like, oh. Kevin, well, uh, of course. My thought was, I'm not going to say I never speed, especially like on an interstate. So Kevin. a lot of times the traffic is flowing along faster than the posted <sighs> speed limit. And so my thought was, how much leeway do you get for occasionally going five miles over? You know, so you know, in legal terms is next, and uh, maybe we'll have them review these comments, Kevin. <laughs> but I, that was my thing: was that it was a little bit over 
you know, too much information. And again, I wasn't yeah. really sure what would happen if you aren't the if you aren't as good of a driver as you think you are. I, I will say <laughs> as to the speeding thing, I, I do remember there were three things that the app looked for, and it could be different. And they they should tell you the things that they're looking for. But it was speeds over eighty miles an hour is what they were looking for. Um, so, uh, which is a fun fact: a lot of highways in Texas speed limit is eighty miles an mm. hour. So you just just be watch yourself there. Um, and it was hard breaking and then there was uh, just generally amount of time you spent driving those were the three things they looked for and my guess is just they've kind of studied driving a lot <laughs> they kind of are experts on on how accidents happen and when they happen and and they realize okay if people drive too much during the day if, you know if you're in your car for two hours a day you're more likely to be in an accident than someone who's in it for two minutes um, if you're speeding over 80 miles an hour that's when your risk drastically increases for not only just for a wreck, but also for how bad the wreck is. And then um, uh, three, that heart, heartbreaking probably indicates you're not paying attention. <laughs> um, also might indicate that you're just not that great of a driver, folks. So work on those things, and um, that should be a good help uh, to everyone else on the road, too. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left, and um, one thing that obviously is clear about when you make investments in the stock market, it's not a done deal, it's not a sure deal. So if we could spend just a couple of minutes about managing risk, uh, what are some thoughts on how to manage risk when it comes to investing, Nancy? Well, the first thing you need to think about is your time horizon. And so if you're going to need that money next week, next month, and the next six months, it doesn't need to be in a long-term investment like stocks. Um, so you need to match your time horizon to the type of investment that you're using for that. And uh, stocks are for longer-term um, retirement. Uh, you're starting with young children like Ryder and saving for their college education. That's longer-term. Um, and then you have intermediate securities that you would match to intermediate uh, horizons that you might have, whereas you're going to purchase a house in the next couple of years or uh, something bigger that you're going to do. So again, that time horizon is critical. Yeah, I, and that's really critical. And one of the things I always say is is you, people are really excited to jump into investing, but it's, it's not the first thing you do with your financial life. You, make sure that you have room to save in your budget. Make sure that you have your uh, high interest credit card debt taken care of. Like that's a huge risk. If you put your last thousand dollars into the stock market, when you owe a thousand dollars on the credit card and it goes down by a dollar, all of a sudden you can't, you, what you, well, you just don't have the money to pay that credit card. Um, so make sure that's taken care of. Make sure you have a little bit of savings account and you've got a plan for building that up. And I'm not saying you have to have the biggest savings account or all of your debt paid off or your retirement perfectly taken care of, but have a clear plan and make sure you're taking care of those things first before you just have your kind of more playing around money or your just outside of retirement accounts invest investments. There's just other things that really that's how you manage the risk is you make sure that come what may in that stock account, the rest of your financial life is going to be OK. You know, and also I found a, a, a Warren Buffett quote here that I like because the other thing that we talk about is don't sort of overreact to, to you know, to things. So the quote is, our favorite holding period is forever. I mean, if you're going to live that long. <laughs> but I mean, the idea of don't overreact to small Blips in the market, I guess, is what that, that what he was trying to say there. But also, don't just put it there and ignore it. 
you you can monitor, but don't react. And one of my favorite comes from uh, Jack Bogle, who was the um, he was head of Vanguard funds for a long time, which is don't just do something, stand there. I really like I like that one. It doesn't mean we have to live forever. All right. That's uh, about going to wrap us up. Just a reminder that uh, if you have a question that uh, didn't get on the air, you can always email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. If you have something that you think you would like for us to talk about, you could make suggestions via the email machine as well. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. You can listen back to this or any episode at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.